We just finished up, as you know, the series called Culture War, and we kind of have a gap week here before we get into our Easter series. Our Easter series is called 72, which is three days that changes everything. And so we're going to look at that and consider from the scripture what Easter means to us now. Like, like a lot of us spend all our time leading up to Easter, and then it's over, right? Easter, you know, this is Holy Week this week. Some, uh, this is Palm Sunday today. And so you remember all these things about Jesus' life, but then we get to Easter, and we're like, and it's over. But that's not actually correct. Easter is the beginning of the story of what God is doing in the world. Easter is the beginning of the redemption story of Jesus Christ. And so we have all of the Bible written about his ministry on earth, but then we have this Easter resurrection. And you and I, if we believe in Jesus as our Savior, are part of the redemption story. So we're going to kind of be looking at that in the three weeks after Easter. Three days that change everything. What did Easter change for us in that series we're calling 72? But today's kind of a kickoff for the series, 72. And so it's a little bit of a, a bridge between what we've been talking about, this idea of the culture war, and this idea of what Easter buys for us. And I found a really radical text, and it's going to tie in a little bit, but I, want, I really want to be thinking about what it means that Jesus did what he did and the way he did it. Because there's an order of events, right? There are the way that Jesus chose to do things. He could have done them in any order he wanted. To. And there's a particular passage today we're going to look at from the Gospel of Luke that I'm like, it has me scratch my head. Like, that's interesting. Why would he do that? What was he trying to teach before Easter, before the first Easter, to the people who were following him? And so we're going to talk about that from the Gospel of Luke chapter 10 today. But before we do, we're going to do what we always do. Um, I want to pray. And so if you would uh, pray with me, I would love that. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much this, for this morning. We thank you for a chance to be alive again, to be breathing, and to be in your presence. And Father, we thank you so much that we are in your care no matter what happens. That whether the day is easy or the day is hard, whether the day we face death or the day we continue to live, you are in control, and we love you so much for your great care for us. We do pray, Father, for those who are maybe feeling isolated and feeling alone. Lord, just help us to be comforted and know that you are with us, and then help us to be able to be back together quickly. Lord, I feel this tension, and I know many of my friends do too, that uh, we're not built to be apart. And Lord, uh, I thank you so much for the uh, strength you've given us to be submitting to authorities for your honor, for your glory. But Lord, uh, we are made to be together people, all of us, by the way, not just in the church, but the world. We're made to be together people. So help us to be able to be together again soon, Lord. We thank you so much for the chance you've given us to worship you in this time. And then I'm going to pray, Father, that you would do today what only you can do. We, we have no wisdom of our own. Um, there's no man-made solution to these, these problems, especially the sin problem. There's no man-made solution for that. And so, Father, would you teach us your solution for our fundamental sin problem? Would you compel us to believe in you? And would you, would you teach us, Father, to be people of hope? in these moments of, uh, of great trial. Would you be glorified? Uh, we ask you, Father, to do these things because only you can do them. Give us wisdom. Be our teacher. Open your word. Help us understand it and help us be changed by it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was, we're going to talk today about 72, the same kind of idea, but it's before we get to the Easter story. But I wanted to start with kind of a question for you. I mentioned to you earlier in the service, and by the way, if you're coming late to the service, that, that's perfectly fine. You know, there's some links below you want to check out, but there's a, there was a thing I opened with this morning, which is that uh, Emily and Nathan had their son, right, uh, on Friday. Praise God for that. But it reminded me this morning, and I thought, you know, have you ever been in a situation where you don't know what you're supposed to do? Like, 
that you just find yourself in a situation where you gotten here, but you don't know what to do now. You, 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 you know, there's this um, kind of a phrase that's thrown about on-the-job training, right? And uh, I was thinking about that because, of course, with Emily and Nathan having their firstborn son, you can just see the joy and terror in their eyes, right? <laughs> like, you, you hope for it, you long for it, you wait for it, and then it happens, you're like, oh my gosh, it happened, now what, you know? And we were talking to them about our own experiences as first-time parents, which is funny, right? Because it's our son, and we're talking, to our daughter-in-law, talking about our experience. But um, we were talking about how there's no, we kept saying, you're fine, you're going to figure it out. It's on the job training. You don't have to have all the answers. And there's so much uncertainty sometimes with us that we need to know everything that's going to happen before it happens, right? And uh, so we told them this story. I thought I'd share it with you this morning. So I don't know how you guys were if, if you're a parent and the first-time parent. I don't know if you guys came out and you're like, we got this. You know, like we read all the books. We're pros, right? Uh, by the way, I know some of you were like that and you had a kid and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> You know what I mean? So, like, I've talked to you too, right? But, but we were definitely, like, the first time we, we left the hospital with our kid, we're like, um, nobody's going with us. Like, we want to take a nurse, maybe a doctor, at least a cell phone for a doctor. You're like, no, we get to take this person home and do something with them? This is crazy. And I remember, uh, other than making sure the car seat was tight, that was all. They were like, good luck. <laughs> you know, uh, here's a bag of stuff. We were praying for you. But the funniest thing actually happened in a few days whenever um, we got home, we're like, we got this, we got it. we settled in and stuff. And then um, it was our firstborn son, and, uh, and he couldn't breathe. I mean, he couldn't breathe. It was super scary, he couldn't breathe. And they gave us the nurse hotline number, and we're like, should we call, should we not call? But he can't breathe. We're not sure what's going on with our kid, he can't breathe. Let me clarify something, by the way. When I say he can't breathe, I mean he couldn't breathe like, he could breathe like this, <sighs> fine. He just couldn't breathe through his nose. But you know, when you're a first-time parent, you're like, I don't know what to do. And they put some of this, um, what's it called? I wrote it down because I didn't want to forget a suction bulb. Have you ever seen a suction bulb? They put this like a medieval device in the bag. It was like a rubber suction bulb. And they said to the, you know, and so and then we called. That's the spoiler. We called and we said, our kid can't breathe. And the nurse is like, okay, tell us what's going on with your son. Can he, well, can he breathe? Through his, he's crying. I hear him crying. That's what the nurse said to us. I hear him crying. I think he's breathing. So she's like, you got that little bulb thing. And we're like, well, yeah. And she goes, well, just put it in his nose and suck out the stuff. By the way, I'm old enough that this is actually how I was on the phone with her. Anyway, okay? And, and we're like, um, stick it in. And we're like, it's not helping. She goes, you got to stick it in there. You got to get in. You're not going to hurt him. First of all, spray some salt water in there. That seems like a great idea, right? Then stick it in there and just really get after it, right? And now Chris and I are having this, like, moment as a couple, like, we're about to have a fight about how the baby's being treated, you know what I mean, on the changing table. He's crying. He ain't happy. We've got things in his nose. Everyone's having a fit. And you just really realize, like, there's no instruction manual for this. That's how that went down. There's no instruction manual. And you know what happened? It worked. And the nurse is like, call any time. I'm sure they were thinking, please don't call again unless it's a real emergency. You know, but you, you realize, like, it's on-the-job training. If, you, if you're a parent for the first time, there's no manual. There's no manual for how to do this. Or, or how about um, your first day on the job, right? I remember, and I was trying to think, because I'm getting pretty old. Like, I was thinking, what was my first day on the job like? You know, many of us right now aren't working, and you think, man, what was it like whenever I worked, you know? But you, 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 you remember that first time on the job when you showed up, and you, someone said, we're going to hire you. You went to the interview, you got the interview, you get the job, and you show up, and you're like, what am I supposed to do? 
And maybe your boss walks you around and says, okay, here's your desk and here's your spot and here's your responsibilities. I didn't have a desk my first job. I was working at a video store, right? So you're going to stand behind the counter. You're going to push the buttons on the register. You're going to go help with videos, like whatever. Um, and even that, I remember I was totally overwhelmed. Everyone else knew each other. They all knew the plan. They knew how this was supposed to work. I didn't know what I was doing. Of course, if you get any um, decent employer, you'll get some kind of hazing when you get hired on. Like they'll, they'll give you trouble in some way because you're the new guy. I remember one time I got a first uh, new job and um, someone was calling my phone and, and I didn't even understand that I was supposed to have a phone on my desk because that's how dense I am. And so everyone's laughing around me and I'm like, why is everyone laughing? They put my phone in the ceiling they thought they'd be pretty funny and have people call my phone, but I wasn't even smart enough to know I was supposed to have a phone. So the joke was on them because I was like just sitting there at my desk like, this is cool. I guess this is my job, sit at this desk. But my phone was in the ceiling ringing. You know, what does that mean? It's like you learn on the job, right? You learn on the job. Well, there's a corollary for Christian life, and it's on-the-job training, right? Like, so I think many of us, we sit back and we think, we, we want Jesus to tell us everything we're supposed to do, and then we'll go do it. Give us all, and we want all the outcomes, know how it's going to work and all that stuff, and then we'll go do it. But there's this really wild thing he did in, in Luke chapter 10 that I want us to look at this morning, and it's definitely on-the-job training, right? Like, he did something radical with his disciples, and uh, I love that. And I hope that what we can take away from this is this idea that that, that we're supposed to go into places that we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know where the phone is we're supposed to answer. We don't know who the person is we're supposed to serve. We don't know how the bulb is supposed to work in the kid's nose, right? But we're going to show up and see what God might do. And so if you would turn to the Gospel of Luke this morning, Luke chapter 10. We're going to be talking about verses 1 through 24. Luke 10, 1 through 24. And we're going to spend our time here this morning in God's Word Starting in verse 1, this is what the word says. After the Lord appointed 70, after this, I'm sorry, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. I want to pause for a second here and talk about just that introduction. First of all, some things we should notice when we look at the scriptures. It says, after this. And you go, well, after what, right? After, like, after what did he do this thing? And you look back, if you do, and the few chapters before this, and it says that um, there was a, the, uh, that um, Peter had confessed that Jesus was the Christ. Uh, he had sent out his 12 disciples already. He had kind of done a, a pilot study of this. Um, there was the, uh, the, he talked about the cost right before this, which is a big deal about what it costs to follow him, like that this is not going to be an easy journey. And you can almost imagine when he's telling that story, the disciples are like, oh yeah, this is gonna be hard, right? But we're still following you. But remember he was saying to people, you gotta let the dead bury their dead and all that right before this. And then he turns around and after that, so after Peter says you're the Messiah and after he starts talking about, you know, how hard it's gonna be to be a disciple of his, then he says, I'm gonna, he does this. He doesn't say it, he does it. After this, what's the word say? The Lord appointed 72 others. That's besides the 12 apostles. He appoints 72 others. And what's the word say? He sent them out. So it's almost like they're in the crowd, you know what I mean? They weren't the like higher ups, they weren't the people closest to Jesus, they weren't the people that were getting all the best religious answers necessarily, they didn't have the best understanding. And Jesus is like, it's gonna be hard. And they're like, no, we're cool, we're down for it. And then he goes, okay, you guys, let's go into the field. Uh, this is our first uh, point this morning, and it's that we're called out as partners. I do not think this ever changes in Scripture. And this is what I think is so strange about what we find ourselves in, that we're not meant to do ministry alone. 
That's not how it's supposed to work. That's not how the church is supposed to work. Look at what the word says. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him into every town and every place where he was about to go. And so he partnered them up. He's like, grab a buddy, I'm sending you out. Grab a partner, I'm sending you out. And two by two, he sent out 70 or 72 disciples into the world. You think about this, and even I said this is, the, this is the normal experience of Christian life. Even later on, all the letters we have from the Apostle Paul, he's writing about what he's doing with Timothy or, or with Silas or what Apollos is doing, right? All those conversations, what Peter's doing. It's all about the, the team, Jesus, going into the world. I can't think of a time, and maybe there is one, I can't think of a time where it's like, it's just me. As a matter of fact, we talked about a few weeks ago how one of uh, Elijah thought it was just him, and God's like, I've got other prophets, Elijah. I mean, you're, you're, I'm glad you're you know, doing your job, but you're not the only one doing your job. So anytime we begin to think, it's just me, that's like some broken thinking, because the truth is we're made to be partners in ministry, and this is true for all of us. We're not meant to do ministry alone. We're not meant to go out into the world and face the troubles alone. Jesus sends them out two by two. I couldn't help but when I heard the two by two thing, I thought, what? that sounds so familiar. You know what's funny about the two by two? Where'd you hear that? That's right, Noah's Ark. Isn't that interesting? That in, in, in Noah's Ark, they were gathered in two by two. Why? So they could continue, they, the, work could, the, the life could continue on earth, right? But there's even a bigger story there with Noah's Ark, right? Because they were saved two by two. They were preserved from the coming destruction two by two in partnerships, right? Scripture says um, two, are, uh, um, two can stay warm, but a quarter of three is not easily broken, right? Like there's this communion of faith that we're called into, and we're called to do these things together. And so that's the first thing is, and by the way, if you're a blast kid, you can write friends, right? Because two by, just a partner is a friend. It's just someone that's gonna be on your side, on your team. And I wanna encourage you to go ahead and draw your picture of you and a friend or maybe a couple of friends of yours. You could maybe even draw 70 friends if you wanted to, right? Because there's 70 people being sent out. But you know, my question is, do we try to do this faith thing alone or do we have someone to partner with us in our life? Are we, are we involving ourselves in other people's lives, and especially those who are trying to follow Jesus? Do we do that ourselves? Or do we think, I'm gonna figure it out. I don't wanna ask for help, right? Like, I'm the world's worst at that. I don't wanna reach out. I'm gonna figure this out. It says, he sent them out two by two into every town and every place, look at this, where he was about to go. Isn't it interesting that Jesus said, you go ahead of me. I don't know how you are, but I want to follow Jesus in the place. I don't want to go before Jesus in the places. Like, I want to show up after he's already there and be like, oh, Jesus is here. I'm cool. He's got this, right? But he's like, no, you're going to go out. You know, one of the whole things I wanted to think about this morning is that, that the church is not God's plan B for sharing the gospel. I said that to you before, right? But it's not like, but this is before he dies on the cross, before he's raised from the dead. He's already looking at his disciples and saying, you go. A few weeks ago, we talked about the idea that he said to his disciples, you give them something to eat. Where are we going to get food for people? You give them something to eat. You do the work. You show up first. He sent them out to all the towns and places where he was about to go. And he told them this. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into his harvest field. Verse 3. Go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the way. 
So there's a couple things I want to talk about here that's really wild about the way he sends them out. First of all, is he says, pray for workers in the field, right? You probably heard that before if you're in church. Pray that God would raise up workers for the harvest. We say, we go and we are praying. Well, I'm going to pray. God, would you send a missionary? Or God, would you send a preacher? God, would you send a pastor? God, would you send someone to serve in healthcare? God, would you send someone to work in the business? God, would you send someone with your gospel message into my broken workplace? Oh, Lord, would you do a work? Would you make this person, help this person know the gospel? And the funny thing about this passage is he goes pray that God would send somebody out and then as soon as they're praying to God he goes now go you go like that's so funny to me that, that right on the heels of it he's like pray that God would send workers because the, the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few not this is why I think about it I think that the early disciples were as satisfied as you and I were just to watch Jesus and hope he does something right just in the stands watching What's he going to do? And he's like, you, go, do it. Get out there. Get in the game. Then, then it gets really sketchy because then he says this. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves, baby sheep among wolves, right? It's like, this is the worst job description ever, right? Go, and this is going to be terrifying. I wanted to ask some questions about that this morning. What would it look like to be a, a, a lamb among wolves, right? What would it look like to be a sheep among wolves? You ever seen sheep? Like, we do the uh, Christmas Eve service, and uh, those sheep are, there's like, there's sheep in the barn, and when you get close to the fence, they're freaked out, man. What are you doing over here, you know? They get, they're not like a dog where they run, you know, or a cat, they come up and they, yeah, they don't want you to touch them. They're super skittish. You got to sneak in, you're never going to feel them. Imagine a wolf in there. I mean, they, the sheep would tear that barn apart trying to get out of it, right? It would be terrifying. A dear friend of mine, um, uh, another preacher says this. He, um, he said, uh, what do lambs do among wolves? They get eaten. That's Rich Blanchett. They get eaten. I'm going to send you out into an environment where you might get eaten alive. I, I think at that point, by the way, I'll be like, I'm good. I'm staying with you. I'm not going to go. <laughs> I'm going to hang out right here. And then he says, there's some more instruction. You're going to go out, and it's going to be and at least terrifying. And, and we're going to get to the end of the story, so don't freak out too much. But he says, you're gonna be, it's going to be like sheep among wolves. You're going to lambs among wolves. You're going to be freaking out a little bit. And this is what it says. Don't take a purse or a sandal or bag with you, right? Don't take extra sandals. Like, don't take a bunch of stuff. Don't pack the car down. Don't get a big journey plan. Just go. Go as you are. And don't even stop and talk to the people along the way. Just get to where I'm sending you. Get to the destination. So, so we have this idea that we are called to um, be sent out in partners. But if you listen to the word, sent out in a very vulnerable situation without adequate preparation, right, um, to follow him and to be obedient to him when we get there, right, to, to, to obey his command to go. Because Why? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That's what he's, the whole thing's about. There's plenty of people who need to hear that. Plenty of people who need to know about me. And I'm coming, but go ahead of me. And, and so we're called to do that in partnerships, through friendships, but never alone. And, and then um, we're going to hear more sprinkled in as we kind of continue about the partnership and why that matters so much, right? But so now we're going to press through here to verse 5. It says this. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace lives there, your peace will rest on him, and if not, it will return to you. 
So, so the next thing is we're supposed to be peacemakers. And that's one of those things like at times like this, it's easy to get caught up in the kind of uh, the energy of the moment, right? People start freaking out. Everyone starts getting skittish. But the truth is that even though we're called out like sheep among wolves, we're called to be peacemakers in the world. And I want you to notice a couple of things about the peacemaking. And by the way, this is if you're in a blast sheet, this is your calm. I don't know what it looks like for you to, you know, to, to have a calm experience or to, to be, because um, peace is a funny word for a kid, but I think we understand calm, right? What does it mean when you're calm? What are your favorite things that calm you down as a kid? Verse 5, it says, when you enter peace, when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. Peace is the word for serenity, right? Um, it's, it's like this kind of placidness. It's, there's no waves in the pond. It's going to be fine. So when you get your destination, you say peace to this dwelling. And it says this in verse 6, if a person of peace lives there, your peace will come back to you, right? So there's this kind of reciprocity of peacemaking. Then when you show up, you're going to find a peaceful individual to stay with. Later on in the scriptures, actually, we're commended to not uh, interact with people who are divisive in nature, who love to fight, right? So that's a tough thing, isn't it? To go out into the world and then to be peacemakers and find peacemakers. And, and then just to make a point here, it says, if you enter and the peace returns to you, verse 7, stay in that house. So live there for a while with that peacemaker. Be a maker of peace yourself and live there in that house, eating and drinking whatever is given to you because the worker deserves his wages. So guess what? Look at what it's up above. Don't take any bag with you or sandals because why? God's gonna provide for you in that moment. So, so receive it. You know, one thing that's really hard to do is to, um, to domineer over someone when you have a need, right? Like, think about that practically for a minute. If you're living in someone's house, it's hard to refuse the food without really coming off like a jerk because they're giving you a place to stay. They're sustaining you. And the instruction for the peacemaker is to eat and drink whatever is given and receive it as a worker of, as wages for your work. And then one final thought here he says is this. Don't move around from house to house. I think, well, why not? Well, there's another peacemaker next door. Because we're peacemakers. Like, it's like stay where you are. Go, stay where you are. Bring your peace, let your peace come to you. I don't know if you've been having that vibe lately, but that's one of those things that I think, man, peace is a great thing. And, and we all want it, but the question is how many of us bring it? Like we all want less hype and less kind of you know, freaking out, but how many of us bring that peace ourselves? How many of us are seeking peaceful homes, peaceful partners, peaceful hosts? By the way, you notice that the one being sent and the one receiving are dependent on one another, right? Like the one being sent is bringing peace and the Lord's coming, but the one receiving is a partner in that ministry. It says that the worker's worth is wages, right? Like you're getting, you're getting compensated by those who are receiving you as a peacemaker. Isn't that interesting that we're called to be peacemakers, Verse 8 says this, when you enter a house or you enter a town and you are welcomed, eat whatever is set before you. So it's a re- kind of a recurrence of the same idea. Then verse 9, heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God is near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we will wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this. 
The kingdom of God is near. That's interesting. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute. But this is the idea of being a healer. So we're, and this is what re- really gets radical now, right? Because people have come to the, expect Jesus to do the miracle, Jesus to do the healing, Jesus to do the work, Jesus to do the feeding. Like Jesus is going to do all these things, right? But here when he sends out to 70, he says, when you enter a town, eat what I said before you. And then he says this in verse 9, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near. See, it's not just enough to show up and like bring the peace of the gospel, but you bring like the presence, the, the real work of the gospel. The word healing there is the word we get therapy from, right? Therapy. And so it's like that kind of, you ever watch the therapist work? One of the things that amazes me about watching a therapist work is you go, well, I could do that. You know, I mean, I'm not saying they aren't smarter than me. They are, right? They've had more training than I have. They have, right? But once they show you the moves, once they show you what to do, once they show you how to do it, you can do that. Matter of fact, one of the things that often happens when you're in therapy is they send you home to do home therapy. Keep doing these exercises until you come back and see me again, and we'll see if you've improved. It's this healing of the body. I think even more so, church, it's the healing of the soul, healing of the spirit. Heal the sick. You remember Jesus said, what's easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? And he thought the harder thing was the sins. So he sends them out to do do healing work in the community. Some of us right now, and, and, you know, and I, hope, I hope you're with me that you're praying for all of our doctors, and all of our nurses, and all of our techs, all of our people who are cleaning rooms and our people. I know that Anderson Hospital had an awesome thing Friday night where people came to the parking lot and just put on their hazards and just prayed, right? That was super cool. Um, I know that many of you have been home just praying. And I hope as much as we hear the news about how tragic things are in the hospital, that as believers in Christ, that you and I are become the kind of people who are praying for the healers in that moment, right? I mean, praise God, even the culture is going, these people are heroes, what they're doing every day. But guess what? They've been heroes for years. Like, just now is this kind of pandemic thing. It's a big deal. But that's been the truth. If you were the one having the heart attack, it was always a miracle that a doctor could save you, right? If you were the one that, that, that had a child who really couldn't breathe, it was always a miracle that we had health care. You had an EMT show up at your door and help save the life of your child. But now we all recognize the culture, right? Because it's all of us. Like, oh my gosh, these people are doing amazing work. They're showing up and they're being healers. But I don't want to relegate it to just them. Because this is a command that was given to all 70. Go out and heal in the name of Jesus. So the question is then, how can we do that ourselves? How can we become part of of like a doctor or a nurse or a tech? How can we serve or heal in some way in this time? Heal the sick who are there. And then tell them this, and I love the message of the healing, it's this, the kingdom of God is near to you. The kingdom of God is near to you. I, I uh, like you, have been taking in all of this media and stuff that we've been, you know, relegated to because we're stuck at home. And, and uh, one of the stories I heard that was so powerful was how beyond all the healing work, um, because of the limitation of visitors, right? Like, I haven't got to hold my grandson yet, you know? It's been, it's like killing us, right? Um, and there are people who are in way worse situations than that because we know our kids are coming home, but people who aren't going to come home. And there's that idea that, um, that the, tech, the techs in the hospitals whose job is actually to bring healing are helping to connect families through technology, right? Why? Because you're not so isolated as you think because you're not far from us. 
You're not far from our hearts. And, and that's that powerful word that the kingdom of God is near to you. That you're not forgotten by God. That's where I kind of want to start today whenever I read from Isaiah 55 that, you know, God hasn't forgotten you. Seek him while he can be found, right? And maybe you need that healing in your life, right? Like maybe you're like, I'm healthy. Yeah, but do you, do you need God to come near to you? Do you need his presence to come near to you? Because the truth is that the kingdom of God is near. Now, why would I ask you that question? Why would I say, well, do you want the kingdom of God to come near you? Do you want, there's a question the Bible asks, do you want to be healed? Everyone goes, of course you want to be healed. Who wouldn't want to be healed? Read what it says in verse 10. Well, when you enter a town and you are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust of the town that sticks to our feet, right? The dirty bottom of our feet, we wipe off against you. But then it comes with the same promise for the healed people. But be sure of this. The kingdom of God has come near. You know how I read that? There are people that are going to reject the healing. There are going to be people who reject the hope. There's going to be entire towns where they don't want to hear it. It's disruptive. I don't want to know these things. And the truth is that in that moment, he's like, you're going to move on, but you're going to say, guess what? The kingdom of heaven was near. And lest we forget, this is Jesus teaching, right? So this isn't some like other person. This is him saying some things that are really powerful. And he says this in verse 12. I tell you, it'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom than it was for that town. You know the story of Sodom, right? It was destroyed by fire. He says it's more tolerable for Sodom then it will be for the, the, the person, the, the, the town that rejects the kingdom of God, those who would not receive them. You know what that means to me? Sodom had a chance. Yeah, I read that story and you go, that's not fair. Why would God destroy an entire town? They wouldn't repent. They wouldn't believe. More bearable on that day for Sodom than this is this. Woe to you, Corazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Because if the miracles are performed in you, had performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. I thought, well, that's interesting. Where is Chorazon? Where is Bethsaida? Those are in Galilee. One is a fishing village near the Sea of Galilee, and the other is in Galilee proper. Like, can you imagine that? See, here's the thing. Jesus is like, I'm going to do healing. I'm going to do work. I'm going to make people right. But I'm, I'm preaching a kingdom of God that's about salvation. And if you, if you see the miracles, you think that's the whole point. If you end up out there in the world and you're like, wow, you know, Jesus healed me, but you forget the rest of that, which what's he say? He says to repent in sackcloth and ashes, to turn. To repent means to turn back to God. The healing is an end unto itself. Many people spent um, uh, yesterday fasting and praying for this virus, right? Fasting and praying. Oh, Lord, that you would just relent. Oh, Lord, that you would heal the nation, that we would turn to him in fervent prayer, that we believe that he is the healer and he can stop all this, that he's in control, by the way. He's not, he's not being victimized by this. He understands what's happening fully, way more than we do, right? But here's the terror of that. If God were to answer that prayer and if it went like that, it was gone, and then we went back to life, that misses the whole point. Because if God's going to do a miracle, if God's going to heal us, if God's going to rescue us, if God's going to save us, if God's going to restore us, it's so that we can repent and turn back to him. Not so we can go on our way unaffected. 
And that's what the word says. Woe to you, Chorazan. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Because if the miracles that were done in you were done in these other places that have been condemned, they would have repented long ago. Do you remember the story of Jonah? I know I asked the question, you probably think, well, yeah, the whale story, right? It's a story about a city. <laughs> it's not a story about a whale. The city repented. If you've not read the story of Jonah, I encourage you to read it. It's four chapters. It's super easy to read. Read it at the end of the story. Jonah's like, uh, I knew you were going to forgive these people. You see that? Story of repentance. He says they have repented long ago. If the miracles are performed in their lives, have been, have been, wait, if the miracles are performed in your life, have been performed in their lives. I wonder, church, how many of these things have we overlooked ourselves? How many healings have we ignored? How many opportunities to change, to repent, have we taken for granted? They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes, knowing their utter dependence. Verse 14, but it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than it will be for you who received the healing and did not repent. Be careful what you pray for. Be careful what you pray for. We're called to be healers, but healers that lead people to repent and believe good news. And you, Capernaum, in verse 15, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths, the word says. Verse 16, he who listens to you listens to me, and he who rejects you rejects me, but he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. So this is why it's a big deal for those people who are like, I don't want to be a peacemaker. I don't want you in my town. I don't want you near my job. You know, and we do that, right? Like we, we um, silo ourselves. We have our work life. We have our home life. We have our church life. We have our public life. We have our friends life. We have our social media life. Like we're so siloed, right? We have all these different divisions. And he's like, no, I'm, I want to break through all that stuff. There's only one you. There's only one God. There's only one need for healing and repentance, and it's to know him. And if we reject those things, if we're like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, you know, to be there on Sunday, but man, Monday through Friday is me time, right? Or my career is my deal, right? That's this kind of rejection of Christ in those moments. And this is what he says there, right? He who receives you receives me. He rejects you rejects me and rejects the one who sent me. This is why Jesus constantly pleads with the religious people. Don't reject me. You're rejecting the Father. They found that offensive, but he said that consistently. He says it again here. Anybody that rejects me rejects the one who sent me. And those are his instructions. He sends them out. Go in confidence, right? Be peacemakers. Be healers. Go out two by two. Do some work. Try it out. See what happens. And then this is what happens in verse 17. The 72 returned with joy. <laughs> and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Like, I don't know what, I love how incredulous they are when they come back because it meant when they left, they probably thought, this ain't gonna work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you and I act like we're in different categories. We're like, yeah, they had Jesus. We have Jesus, church. And they went out in these places and like, we're just gonna go be a peacemaker. We're gonna be a healer. We're gonna go out and we're gonna say the kingdom of God is near. We're gonna be people who bring that. And then they come back and they're like, you aren't gonna believe what happened. Of course he believes what happens, right? You're not gonna believe it. Even the demons submitted to us in your name. Wow. You have great power. 
And in verse 18, he replies, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. You know, that's the rejection, the rebellion against God. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Powerful teaching, right? I've given you this power and nothing's going to harm you. You have nothing to fear. I'm sitting like sheep among wolves. Don't be afraid of anything. It's fine. I got this. And look at what he says. 20. And that's 20 is the key verse for believers, right? 20. However, do not rejoice that spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The word for joy, it says they came back with joy. If I told you the blast kids, I said to write go and the friends calm doctor. The last one is happy. And if you're like me, you want to write happy, 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 right? Because you're happy, happy, happy. You know why you're happy, happy, happy? I know some of you guys know that from the show, right? Happy, happy, happy. You know what that is, though? That's joy, joy, joy. Joy, joy, joy. Why? Because they come back with joy. They submitted to us in your name. And Jesus says, don't be happy because they submitted to you. Don't be joyful because they uh, received the healing. Don't be joyful because the plague relented. Be joyful because your names are written in the book in heaven. Is that what it says? Your names are written. Where is it at? Yeah, in heaven, our names are recorded. Rejoice in the fact that you've been chosen by God, that you've been selected for salvation. And I know like it's weird because you go, wait a minute, that feels, yeah, that's what it means to be a child of God, that he has anointed you and he has equipped you and he sent you out like sheep among wolves, but so that you could preach the message. But guess what? Your salvation is secure. You want to be happy about something? Don't be happy because you're healed. I mean, you can be happy because you're healed, right? But be happy because you're saved. Be happy because you're not, you're, you're uh, repentant. Be happy because you're being destined for eternal life with God. Have joy in the right places. When we're happy, 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 we're joyful about the right things. And what I love about all this, by the way, is I wonder if Jesus didn't send the disciples out, if they hadn't gone, if these 72 hadn't been obedient and taken that step and taken that risk and said, well, here we go. Let's see what he does. They would have never experienced the joy of coming back. Like you don't get them without the beginning. You don't get it. If, if you stay right there and you refuse to go, you miss the joy. You miss the awe. You miss the wonder. Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. What's he saying? You belong to me. I belong to you. We belong to the Father. Rejoice in that. Look at verse 21. At that time, Jesus, filled with joy through the Holy Spirit, said this, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned people, and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal the Father, right? So you're in this anointed, beautiful position, and he's like, rejoice in that. Like little children, you understand this. You belong to God. Take great delight in that. That should be our, our, the thing we cling to. And the question that I have is that, you know, do you know God in that way? Like, do you know you're a child of God? 
whenever the storms come, whenever the good times are happening, whenever life is going on, do you know that you belong to him and that no matter what comes, no matter how scary it gets, no matter how many wolves are among you, your destiny, your eternal destiny is rooted in him because he says so. Is that what it says? Because the son chooses to reveal the father to us. We are so blessed and so um, cared for by him. So that's the last thing is, you know, do you know Jesus like that? Wait, wait. Do you know that he wants to know you like that? You know what I'm saying? Like that whole thing about, you know, um, I, one of the things I'm really troubled by is that we act like we're doing God a big favor if we believe in Jesus. That's crazy. Jesus is doing us an eternal favor making himself known to us. Like we act like, you know, he's lucky to have me. No, you're lucky to have him, right? I mean, we're lucky to have him. And we are so blessed to be, belong to him and have our names recorded in heaven by his sacrifice, by his election. We are gifted to be saved. Listen, is that good news? Because see, I have friends that, that are rejecting Christ and they say, well, that's terrible because that means you have God and I don't. No, you're rejecting him. Those towns could have been saved. Those towns could have been healed. Those towns could have repented. Some of those towns were healed and still didn't repent. See, it's good news because it's an opportunity for you to believe. It's a good opportunity for you to know Jesus. This morning, if he's revealing himself to you, I would, inv- I would encourage you not to reject him, right? Invite him in. Jesus, I want to know you more. I want to understand what this really means to be a Christian. I want to know what it means to follow you and to belong to you forever. We're going to close with this. In verse 23, Jesus turns to the disciples, right? So remember I said there was two groups. There was a 12, and there was a 70 or the 72. He had sent out the 12 already. They were back. He sent out the 70, 72, right? There's kind of this thing. He's like showing everybody what's really happening here. But he turns back to the 12, and this is what he says. Blessed are the eyes that see what you have seen. Because many prophets and kings have wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. And wanted to hear what you heard and did not hear it. Isn't that wild? He says, You are so blessed because you get to see things that people longed to see. The prophets of God longed to see. The rulers and authorities longed to see, but they did not see it. And you get to see it. We get to see it. Church, are we, are we, are we praying for a healing? Absolutely. Are we praying that, that God would heal our nation? Absolutely. Listen, are we praying that God would heal our world? Absolutely. But if we repent, if we turn back to God, like, that's it. That's what we're called to do. Blessed are you if you see that. And, and even more so, joyful are you if you go when you're sent. Pray with me if you would. Father, we thank you so much for this morning and the chance to hear your word. Your word made flesh, made a dwelling among us, and taught us all these things. Father, for the way that you send your people into the world, we give you thanks and praise. And Father, for all the times that it's been us who've been praying that you would send someone but not going ourselves. And Father, I don't want this to be human guilt. I want this to be your Holy Spirit's anointing. That if there are those of us who are praying to you right now and we have been the ones saying, yeah, I hope you send somebody, but we've been reluctant to go. Father, would you make it clear that we need to go? And Father, if, it, if, it's, if we have a tendency, like so many of us do right now, to go it alone, would you help us to find a partner to go with, a brother or sister, 
a husband or a wife, a friend, someone else who would say, yeah, we're gonna do this. We're gonna go and we're gonna serve, we're gonna love, we're gonna risk, and we're gonna see what happens. <laughs> Lord, we have a knack right now of saying these are strange times, but these are no stranger than any other times. We're just paying attention now. This, is, this story has been told over and over and over again in human history. The question is, will we learn the lesson? Father, for friends who don't know you, I pray that we would come to know Jesus and repent. I pray that for all the times you've already healed us, we would just turn to you and say, thank you, God, for your everlasting love, and that we would pursue you, and we'd be willing to you know, belong to you, to acknowledge that truth. Lord, for the work you've done amongst your people and for the way that you continue to do it, we give you thanks and praise. We praise you, Father, because you're worthy of praise. We praise you, Lord, because you're among the angels being praised right now. We praise you, Father, because you're beyond our circumstance. You are worthy to be praised. May you be glorified. We love you so much. We bind all these prayers up in the name of the one who can accomplish more than we can hope for or imagine. We pray it in his name, in Jesus Christ. Amen.